Philippians tonight. Philippians. I heard about a fella. He said that his boss asked him to. He said, uh, my boss asked me to start my presentation with a joke. So I used my paycheck as the first slide. <laughs> yeah. Another person said, I quit my job at the helium factory today. I refuse to be spoken to in that tone of voice. <laughs> okay, some of you get it. A celebrity someone who works hard all her life to become famous and then wears dark sunglasses to avoid being recognized. You know, one lady said it's been raining for days. My husband seems depressed about it. He just stands by the window staring. If it continues, I'm going to have to let him in. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. I received another letter from a lawyer's office yesterday. It had final notice stamped on the envelope. Guess they won't be bothering me anymore. <laughs> you know, if you can't remember my name, just say donuts. I'll turn around and look. At a campaign stop, a voter told a candidate, I wouldn't vote for you if you were St. Peter himself. Well, if I was St. Peter, you wouldn't be in my district. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. All right, well, we're over in the book of... Uh, we're talking about potential, and obviously I haven't reached mine yet in that area. I'm still working on it, okay? <laughs> but uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about what it means to reach our potential today, or what it doesn't mean to, to, you know, when it comes to potential. And um, I'm not going to share anything that you're not already probably familiar with. It won't be anything new, but I hope that it'll be an encouragement and, and just a, a reminder again of how important it is that we understand this simple principle. Now, it's been said that our potential is God's gift to us. What we do with it is our gift to Him. Our potential is probably our greatest untapped resource. Henry Ford, he observed, he said, there is no man living who isn't capable of doing more than he thinks he can do. Now here in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, we're going to read about a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And we know that earlier in the chapter, the Apostle Paul had uh, given his credentials. He had made it very clear uh, where he was from. As a matter of fact, it says, uh, in verse 5, he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Man, he's just, uh, I mean, if there was anybody that had a, a, a resume that would uh, garner the affections of Hebrews around the world, it would be the Apostle Paul. Ultimately, the Apostle Paul, of course, became a persecutor of believers or Christians. And we know that uh, he was very zealous in what he believed, and uh, boy, he did a good job of it while he was doing that as well. Whatever he put his mind to, it seemed like he worked pretty hard at it. And uh, he goes on to talk about how things changed in his life, and that uh, he says, those things which were gained to me, talking about his credentials, basically, now he counted them lost for Christ's sake. 
and uh, those things that were important to him then, those things of the flesh, those things that he attained in his own strength. He's saying those things themselves I counted but lost. I counted them, even he goes on later to say, but dung, and that I may win Christ. And so he's trying to find righteousness no longer in his own deeds or abilities or effort, but he's looking for righteousness, of course, in Christ, and he's found it in the Lord Jesus. And so he goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. And so the Apostle Paul now is saying, listen, I, I've turned, the, uh, I've turned the, over a new leaf, if you will. I've invested my life into Jesus. Jesus invests his life into me and he's everything to me now. And basically now he steps up in verse 12 and he says, not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul had been apprehended by Christ. One might be able to say he'd been seized by Christ, taken captive by Christ with a purpose from that time on to pursue the prize. He made it his life goal to reach the end running full steam, to reach the end in pursuit of the prize. He spent his life pursuing a purpose, the purpose for which God saved him. Verse 12 says, I follow after. Again, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. Again, borrowing a language from an athlete, Paul's saying basically, I'm pressing on with a view to, to, uh, uh, view to seizing that for which I have been seized. Or I'm seeking to apprehend that for which I was apprehended. The word translated follow after there. It's the same word that was translated persecuting in Philippians 3.6. In 3.6, just a few verses before, it says, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Persecuting the church. It's the same word again as we noted in verse 12. Followed after, that I follow after, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ. What he's basically saying is this, with the same intensity, the same level of commitment that the Apostle Paul once sought to stamp out Christianity, he now, that same zeal drives him to plant Christianity everywhere else. He had one consuming passion to get a hold of that for which Christ had gotten a hold of him. Now, would he reach his potential in life? Well, wait a second. Or better, would he reach his potential for Christ? That's really the issue. Would he reach his potential for Christ? Would he become everything that the Lord had intended him to be? Come. Would he accomplish what he had seized him to accomplish? He apprehended the Apostle Paul, and now the Apostle Paul says, I will apprehend that for which I was apprehended. 
And that is exactly what you and I need to be doing, isn't it? And you know, in order to do that, we have to reach our potential. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the Apostle Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. When we think of the Apostle Paul, we can't help but recognize and realize that he had no real pursuits outside of Christ. That's hard for us to comprehend at times. You know, we get the impression that we have a right to pursue many things in life. But as a believer, we have really the right to pursue only that for which we were apprehended. Because we're no longer our own, we've been bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God in our body and our spirit, which are the Lord's. The last time I checked, the person who possesses something, or uh, in that sense, they have the right to do with it as they please. It's not the possession itself that chooses what it will accomplish or do in life, but it is the owner of it that does. My car does not tell me where I'm going to go, what I'm going to do, and how to get it done. I tell it. Because, see, I own it. It's my property. I'm God's property. Therefore, Mark O'Donnell really doesn't have a right to tell God what he's going to do with his life. He doesn't have a right to say to God, I plan on doing this or that. Matter of fact, we are warned about that in the book of James. Be very careful, he says in the book of James chapter 2, that you don't go about saying, well, tomorrow I'll do this and tomorrow I'll do that and we'll go here and we'll go there. He says, be careful with that. Because really, when it's all said and done, the very breath that you thou receive into your body is only a grace that I have extended to you. And you are now bought with a price. And our goal, our desire ought to be for me to live is Christ. So tonight, I want to define what it really means to, to reach our, our potential. What it, what it means to reach our potential. Because that's what we all ought to be doing. Our potential for Christ, obtaining it, reaching it, accomplishing it, so to speak. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll talk just a little bit tonight and we'll be done. Father, we need you. We ask that you would speak to our hearts and work in our lives. Lord, thank you for saving us and allowing us to become part of your family. And Lord, may we always be aware of the reality that we've been bought with a price, that Calvary did not come cheap, that our salvation cost a great deal. Lord, may we be quick to want to do our best to please you and to, well, to apprehend that for which we were apprehended, even as the Apostle Paul did. Father, work in our hearts and our lives, and Father, do a miracle tonight and help us to really understand what it means to reach our full potential and understand what it means not to. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so um, I need uh, three, three folks to help me out. I'll tell you what, you two young ladies, come on up, and Brother, Brother Josh, you come on up too. Just the three of you very quickly. Now, if you would uh, look at an orchestra, and I'm going to be the conductor. Come on up, ladies. You're going to need to come up on stage, okay? All right? Um, I want you to, uh, let's see, I'll tell you what. Take, take a seat right here in front, sweetheart. And then you go sit there, and Brother Josh, you sit over there. Okay? Okay, so what we have here are three folks, and if this was an orchestra, in an orchestra you have what are called seats, right? You have first seat, second seat, third seat. 
All right, now, the, the goal in the orchestra, obviously, and what you really want to become, and I looked this up, if you are first, first chair, I should say, first chair, they call it, really. First chair, second chair, third chair, so on and so forth. If you're the first chair, you make more money than the second chair. And you make more money than the third chair. So really, what you want to be is the first chair, because not only do you make more money, but that's someone saying you have achieved the highest standard in this particular orchestra. You are the best violinist we have. Okay, so in this, this uh, orchestra tonight, we have three violinists. And here we have one in chair, uh, first chair, second chair, third chair. Of course, Brother Josh is the worst violinist of all three. <laughs> but we have these three. Now, we could say that Hannah is better at playing the violin than any one of them. And you wouldn't be wrong. More than likely, she is the best violinist amongst the three. Or in an orchestra, there are a number of violinists. There's a number of them. But she would be number one. Not only does she play the violin now, but she also helps the director to kind of drive the direction of the orchestra and, and from her seat and helping others. Matter of fact, she even plucks the first A the, in the, 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 the orchestra to set everybody on, on uh, tune and all of those good things. But she's the best. She's the best. She's in chair one. She's the first chair. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. All right, I need, uh, let's see here. I'm missing all of our teenagers tonight. Let's see here. Um, give me, I need three more, but I want three tough, rough guys. Okay, three tough, rough guys. Yeah, come on up, Joaquin. Yeah, that's right. Somebody was pointing at Brother Joaquin and said, now there's a tough, tough uh, ombre. Come on, Isaac, you look like you're pretty tough there tonight. And then we'll get Brother Brad up here, too. I think I'll put my money on Brother Brad in a, a back alley fight, maybe. <laughs> All right, so I'll tell you what, here's what we're going to do. Um, I'll tell you what, you fellas come on down here. Okay, here's how we're going to do it. All right? Okay, Brother Brad, you, you stand up there. On the second, that's right. You, you come on over here, brother. You stand up on the first. And then, brother, you stand right there. Okay, now, we, we've all seen the Olympics, right? Have you not? Okay, now, the Olympic uh, uh, flag ceremony, where they play the national anthem. Okay, what, what we find is that over here is third place. Sorry, brother. But anyway, third place. Notice he's down here just a, bit, just a little bit above him on the far left is going to be second place. Again, notice, and then finally first place stands in the middle above the rest. What that implies is say that this is a, a shot put event. That It's hard to believe I know that you couldn't throw a shot put farther than... But, but, but we're going to pretend tonight. Okay, we're using our imaginations. But i got to believe that Brother Brad would probably be very well suited to throw the shot put pretty far. So there he is, number one. He is the victor. He's wearing a gold medal tonight. 
We have the bronze. We have the silver. We have the gold. You guys may be seated. That's pretty good. Now I need two people. Let's get two more people up here. All right. Brother Joe. Come on. Brother Cody, come on. You guys look like athletes. You're going to stay here, and you're going to have a seat right there, would you please? Cody, you're just going to stand out front there. Now, we've all been to a football game, and we know that the best player's on the field. And then the other rides the bench. Right? Yeah. Exactly, right. See? So, Brother Cody, he's on the field because he's the better player. Joe's getting splinters. Okay? So the coach is focusing attention, obviously, out on the field. He's yelling at the players, and then every once in a while, hey, Joe, get me a drink of water. Thank you. That's how it goes, right? All right, but the better player, the best players on the field. All right, you two guys can have a seat. Thank you. <laughs> now, as we look at these scenarios, they illustrate what most often we view as success. Yeah, that's, I mean, think about it. They're, they're first on the field. They're at the top of their game. They've risen above the rest. However, just because somebody is in the first chair, just because somebody is at the top of the platform, just because somebody's on the playing field, that doesn't mean that they've reached their potential. It simply means that they've exceeded the talent level, ability, or place of another. But it doesn't translate to potential or reaching it necessarily. Novelist H.G. Wells, he held that wealth, notoriety, place, and power are no measures of success whatsoever. The only true measure of success is the ratio between what we might have been and what we have become. See, in other words, success comes as the result of growing to our potential. Potential is you and I accomplishing everything that we possibly can accomplish. Potential is you and I obtaining or reaching our highest possible level. Potential is you and I leaving nothing on the table at the end of the day. Potential is you and I maximizing our effort in order to reach or to attain to our best. But you know what? The truth is tonight is that we're often content to simply exceed or outperform those around us, aren't we? 
That's usually where we end up in life. As long as I do a little better than them, then I'm first. I just want to outperform others. I want to do well enough that I get out on the field. I want to do good enough that I get on the platform. I want to do good enough so that I can be first chair in the school orchestra or wherever it might be in life. We exert just enough effort to succeed, but that is not reaching our potential. That's not reaching our potential. Every teacher has had a student that gets good grades, but with a little more work could get great grades. Every coach has had an athlete that made it look easy compared to the others, but with some hard work, they could take it to another level. Every employer has had an employee who did their job well, but with some effort could have really stepped it up and made a difference. You know, when it comes to the Christian life, God expects nothing less than our very best, no matter how far we travel, no matter how high we climb, no matter how much we do. Take your Bible, look at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Notice what it says in Ecclesiastes 9.10. It says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Just a life-changing verse if we really take it to heart. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there's no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave whither thou goest. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Do you know that whether it's Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, or Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, in both cases, God is not asking us to do more to love more, or to work harder. That's not really what he's asking. He's asking us to give it our best and our all. See, God is not impressed with our accomplishments, but rather our efforts. It's so amazing when we look at you know, uh, we, we scan the crowd of believers in our lives. We note and recognize those people who have accomplished so much, and yet they themselves may have put forth so much less effort than someone who never accomplished that much. God did not take notice of their accomplishments. He took notice of the effort. And may I say that that young man that may have Down syndrome, he may be the man who's standing on the podium one day in heaven because he gave it his all when the other stood before crowds of thousands and proclaimed the truth but did not give it their best. It is not what we accomplish that impresses God. It is what we do, our effort that we put forth. 
So God may have given you a talent. Maybe he's given you some gift. The question is, have you developed that gift, that talent? Have you sought to perfect it? Do you practice as hard as you can and prepare as much as possible? Or are you simply content to just get by or to perform better than others? We see it in youth groups across the country. I know just enough Bible that I can kind of convince the others that I know a lot about it. I'm not giving it my very best. I, I memorize during vacation Bible school, but I don't do my best. I study those scriptures for, say, contest or something so that we can answer those questions rapidly and quickly. But then again, on the other hand, I don't give it my best. I simply do enough so that I can be the best in our youth group. And everybody's so impressed. Wow, they know the Bible. We are so lucky to have a child that knows so much of the Word. Wow. Boy, you keep up the good work, sister, brother. And they go away going, yep, I get rewarded for doing enough. But God isn't impressed. You can fool all of us, but the truth is, God only sees, he looks at the effort. How you doing with that gift, that talent? I've known people that are really smart. And they simply coasted through school. I mean, they're getting A's, and it wasn't very hard for them at all. Well, on the other hand, there's this person busting their tail. I mean, giving it their very best just to get a passing grade. Now, that person may have gotten all A's and ended up first in their class, but on the other hand, they may have never even scratched the surface of reaching their potential in education or learning. Now, for us, we don't care, right? I mean, we're human beings. We look at that and go, wow, they're lucky. Man, that makes it easy. It's easy for them to get an A. And man, I mean, they're so smart. They're so talented. They're so, have so much ability. Wow, they can do so much. Man, I could never memorize like that. And you know, that's fine and all. But let me tell you what, while everybody's telling you how great you are, God's looking up there going, did you give it your best? Did you reach your potential? Because I'm looking at your effort, and I know you didn't cost too much to get that A in that class. You probably could have pushed yourself a little more. You could have learned a little bit more. You, become, you could have become a little better. We say things like, man, he or she can do that in their sleep. And when we say that, we mean that it comes easy for them. Do you know folks that are talented and possess many gifts are often tempted to coast through life? They stand out without even having to give it their best. That's kind of dangerous, isn't it? At least for eternity it is. You say, God's given me a few abilities or talents, and I know everybody likes to have this sense of humility. I get it. But let's be honest. Every one of us knows there's something that God gave us that's a little better probably than meets the eye. We could look around the room and we'd say, well, I can better than and I have an ability in this area. 
Hey, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're really good at things, this is something I've warred with my whole life. It's easy to coast. What about you? If it's easy to get good grades, it's easy to coast in school. If you know your job really well and you just have an ability, a talent, at it and you're good at it, it's easy not to give it your best, but just to do enough to be the best, right? I'm not saying that it's wrong to be the best. I'm saying it's wrong not to give our best. I'm saying that as a believer especially, it's easy to coast through things. That's why I'm not a real fan of everybody up singing solos in the church. Because I don't like that spotlight. I don't think it's a good place for most people. I don't think it's good to get little kids up here, especially singing up on stage without a group, because I think it breeds a lot of conceit. I don't think they can handle it. I think they begin to have a false sense of, of, what do you want to call it, Uh, greatness. Because everybody pours over them. Oh, that was so good, even if it wasn't. And I think, and I'm not saying it's, we understand why we do this, because we don't want to destroy their egos. But let me tell you something, we need to be very, very cautious, because when people feel that they have gifts and abilities, sometimes it hampers them, it hinders them from giving their best now. It holds them back, it doesn't catapult them forward. A lot of times it causes them to relax and say, well, I'm already the best, why do I need to work at this? But see, in God's economy, he sees things different than we do. He's not impressed with our accomplishments. Are you the best Christian you can be? Now hold on, I didn't ask, are you the best Christian you know? I'm asking, are you the best Christian you could be? That you possibly can be? I mean, do you love the Lord with all thy heart and with all thy might and with all thy soul? I'm going to make a statement, and and it is so, I think this is an extremely profound statement. That is not measured standing beside another believer, talking about, do you love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might? That is not measured standing beside another believer. That is only measured standing in front of the mirror. It's easy to stand beside other believers and go, yeah, I think I love the Lord more. Oh, yeah. I love Him with all my heart compared to them. But that's not how we measure that. We measure that looking in a mirror and saying, have I given it my best? How do I measure up in God's eyes? And that's the real key here. Dion Primetime Sanders, we, he was called. He was an outfielder for the Atlanta Braves. He was the cornerback for the Atlanta Falcons. He is the only athlete to have hit a major league home run and scored an NFL touchdown in the same week. And playing professional baseball and professional f- football at the exact same time, simultaneously. Sanders grew up on the streets in Fort Myers, Florida, where he was exposed to to some would-be athletes, which kind of motivated him to succeed as an individual. He explains, he said, I call them Idas. If I'd have done this, I'd be making $3 million today. 
If I had practiced a little harder, I'd be a superstar. He goes on to say, they were as fast as me when we were kids, but instead of working for their dreams, they chose drugs in a life of street corners. And he said, we don't need any more Ida's. Now listen, it may not be drugs or a life of street corners that we choose, you and I tonight. But it could be a life of ease or comfort or convenience. Those things could keep us from reaching our potential too. See, God doesn't want any of us to hold anything back when it comes to loving Him. When it comes to praising Him or worshiping Him or adoring Him or living for Him or serving Him. Bernard Shaw, he was an Irish playwright. He was a critic. He was a political activist. His influence on Western theater, culture, and politics extended from the 1880s to his death and beyond. He wrote more than 60 plays, including major works such as Man and Superman, 1902, and Pygmalion, in 1912, and St. Joan in 1923. Now, he played the what-if game before he died at the age of 94. Mr. Shaw asked a reporter, if you could live your life over and be anybody you've known or any person from history, who would you be? I would choose, replied Shaw, to be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. You, did you get that? I would choose to be the man George Bernard Shaw could have been, but never was. When you and I get to the end of our lives, will we, like George Bernard Shaw, say, I would choose to be the man, the woman that I could have been, but never was. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, turn there, would you please? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, the Apostle Paul reminds us that there is a judgment that still awaits every believer. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5:10, we read, "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body in, in his body." According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're going to stand before the Lord and give an account. He saved us out of our sin. He apprehended us for a purpose and with a purpose. Will we seek to apprehend that for which we were apprehended? Will we give it our very best to accomplish what Christ had received us unto himself for? 
Will we simply get by? Will we do just good enough? Will we be just better than the next level? Or will we really give it our very best and reach our potential? Because God is not as impressed with our accomplishments as He is our effort. Will it be said of you, he or she, she gave their very best, they reached their potential. Not they were a good father, they were the best father they could be. Not they were a good mother, but they were the best mother they could be. Not they were a good wife, they were the best wife they could be. Not just a good father, or excuse me, a good husband, but the best husband they could be. Not just a good brother or sister, but the best brother or sister they could be. Not just the best, not just a good prayer warrior, but the best prayer warrior they could be. Not just a good student of the Word of God, but the best student of the Word of God they could be. Not just a good Christian, but the best Christian they could be. I wonder tonight. May we never settle for anything less than our best. Because that is really what it means to reach potential. You can't reach potential any other way than giving your best. Simply succeeding in the eyes of humanity. Simply reaching top of the platform. Being out on the field. Being first chair. That is not reaching potential necessarily. That is succeeding. That is not necessarily reaching potential. And Christ is not impressed with just those things. He's impressed with your effort. I want to encourage you tonight. Identify an area in your life, your Christian life, that you aren't giving it your best. Let the Lord speak to you about just one area of your Christian life where you are simply getting by. Maybe no one else even knows how weak you are in that area. Maybe they even believe that you're really solid, that you've accomplished much, that, boy, you're extremely spiritual and you're really solid in these areas. You don't have to share your weakness or even your failure with someone else. No, you don't have to. What you do need to do, though, is come clean with God and admit that you're not giving it your best. You're simply doing it good enough so that you might even be better than the rest. But make a decision to give it your best tonight in that area that one area even, and see how it changes your life. And it will. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the opportunity that we have tonight to gather here. Lord, we think about the Christian life and Lord, the many responses that we're to make on your behalf, the many requirements that you have for us. and Lord, sometimes we, we're doing good enough. We, we do what we need to do to impress maybe others or even just to convince ourselves that's good enough and that we're all right. But Lord, help us, Father, to not settle for that any longer. Help us to make up our mind, Lord, to do our best. Especially, Lord, there might be an area tonight that you can pinpoint in our life, an area of weakness. Maybe there's a sin that keeps 
getting us and we keep yielding to it and we're not giving it our best. We're simply just, I don't know, appeasing ourselves and trying to convince ourselves that we're doing something about it. But Lord, help us to do our best. Maybe there's a, a gift or a talent that you've given us that maybe it's playing a piano or po- possibly an instrument or singing or something. And we've, we've never really pushed ourselves. We've never really inconvenienced ourselves or sacrificed in any way to become better in those areas. We simply remain comfortable in the midst because we're always at least a little better than the rest. Father, help us, Lord, just to make a conscious decision to do our best in those area, one of those areas this week to really begin to focus our attention there and to give you our all, to put forth our best effort. Lord, we'll thank you. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed as the music plays tonight. How's your Bible reading, your prayer life?